to the Collector Car Podcast Halloween Special. <laughs> This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Okay, it's time to share some of the scariest car names. Who can forget the Dodge Shadow, the Rolls Royce Shadow. We also had the Spirit, Dodge Spirit. I don't know that that's that scary. Rolls-Royce Silver Spirit. We had the Dodge Demon as well as the Hellcat. The Spectre. That's from a great movie with Charles Sheen's, I think, in the late 1980s. The Gremlin, of course. That's kind of scary. The Banshee, the one-off Pontiac Banshee prototype that is currently sitting in a Kia dealership up in the northeast. The Murcielago, which is a Spanish name for bat. And who can forget the Diablo the Rolls-Royce Phantom, the Wraith, and the Ghost. You also have the Ford Raptor, and then, of course, the Hennessy Velociraptor, and then you have the Alfa Romeo Spider with a Y, not an I. And then a couple lesser-known ones, the Hillman Imp, and the scariest one of them all, the Ford Probe. Ah! Well, welcome back to the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, it's Greg. I've got a really fun, interesting episode going on right now that you've probably already realized from all the noises you just heard. And uh, my special guest today for Restoration Horror Stories is Mike Eisen from D&D Restoration. Mike, how you doing today, buddy? I'm at the top of my game, young man, and yourself. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, we were talking, we were having a, a, a drink while we were having some Italian food, and you came up with this wonderful idea, and I just thought it was fantastic. And I think people, you know, people that take their car to the restoration shop it's to, for one goal is to get it better than it was when they brought it in there but i think where the horror stories occur is sometimes the cars are maybe a little bit worse than what they thought they were and it's up to the restoration shop to kind of find out what's wrong with the car and guide the clients to fix it and i just thought you know what why don't you share some of these interesting stories you've come across over the years at D&D and uh before we begin i do want to know how did you get involved? And then uh, how many cars have you seen pass through the shop in your time there? How did I get involved in the classic car restoration industry? Yes. Uh, I did actually go to school, took vocational school, and I've owned uh, owned a lot of classic uh, cars personally myself, some Trans Ams, a lot of Cadillacs. Opportunity came up to do this. I quit my job as a corporate shill, and, uh, well, 21 years later, I haven't looked back. Wow, okay. And then I know you've seen a lot of cars come through the shop. Yeah. Um I'm gonna say since I've been there about six, seven hundred. Okay. Yeah. So you know they've the not experience. all been complete restorations. I mean some cars just come in to get a service, an inspection. But in the shop itself I'm gonna say, yeah, we were in the we were in the uh our customer number started out as zero zero one. We're up to we're we're in the eleven hundreds now almost. So when wow. I started, they were at uh, about 325. Okay, right. Now, that's not, every customer's not gotten a number, too. There's been some things came in that, like, hey, can you take a look at this real quick? You know, people bring in a piece, and you'll, you know, help them out or whatever. And, um, oh, I've given tours, like, you know, 30 cars at, at, the, at, the, at the tour, uh, you know, group doing a, a road trip type thing where we have to fix a car for them to get them back on the road. Um, we did that just happened recently, so you know, it's, it's 
I'm going to say 700 or so. Yeah. Okay. So you've had your fair share of horror stories come through there. And if you would kind of, let's talk about a few of them. You know, we, we don't need to see any, say any names or one off special cars, but uh, if you would tell us a couple of the stories that kind of stuck in your mind where maybe it came in as one thing and then quickly it became something totally different. Well, my, the one that comes to mind most, and you know, we, since you and I talked and discussed this, I, I thought, well, you know, that one was pretty bad and <laughs> this one was pretty bad and, Oh, that one was horrible. This was the one that sticks out the most in my mind. And pretty much everybody else that was working there at the time, we had a 19, excuse me, 1941 Cadillac Series 62 29D. That is a four-door convertible sedan, and the D stands for deluxe. They made 400 of them that year. Very rare car. The gentleman that owned the car uh, bought it from the original owner in 1946 and, you know, drove it to college and home and all this. Well, about 1968, they decided to restore it. They took every nut, bolt, screw, anything you could get off the car, off of it. They moved it here, they moved it there. And it ended up being on the coast of Florida where it uh, promptly rusted away. And they had the engine completely apart. I mean, everything was completely apart on the engine. And then they had it stored in a wooden crate by an open door with a box of fertilizer on it that ate through the oil pan, the intake manifold. I mean, you name it, it was just gone. Wow. To take the pictures of the car and do the inspection, I had to lift the windshield frame up where it was laying on the floor where the bottom of it had rusted out so bad. <laughs> wow. and I didn't have a hood. I didn't have any chrome trim that was salvageable. But since they only made 400 of these cars, everything on the car was extremely rare and unique. And the way the convertible top works, being this a four-door car, there was a post that went in the middle of it. Well, those sell for about $5,000 a set if you can find them. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. If you can find them. Well, we got the car, and we did an evaluation as best we could on it, and we pretty much told the gentleman that owned the car, um, hey, Dave, uh, we need another car. We can't <laughs> fix this car. I'm not saying we couldn't fix it, but it was going to be a million bucks. I mean, we had to, we we're going to have to fabricate everything. Well, he bought a 1941 Cadillac four-door regular sedan. Uh, sight unseen, fresh out of the barn. I had it running in 20 minutes. Oh my goodness! And I, yep. I had to rig, I had to rig a bunch of stuff up: an electric fuel pump with 12 volt battery in the back seat. Got it running. Watt drove it, drove it around the parking lot. Well, the back fenders weren't compatible. The deck lid wasn't compatible. <laughs> the doors, of course, weren't compatible. So we had to salvage pretty much everything we could salvage from the original car. And then we cut the whole floor out of this car. We used the frame from this car. And when it was done, it probably sold for more than one of those cars I've ever sold for. It sold for over three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars almost. And it was beautiful. It drove like a new car. It looked better than the day they made it. Shiny black with a red interior and it's back in Florida again. <laughs> so so when you told the owner, Yeah, we need another car, what was what was the response, the reaction to that statement? What do you mean? It's, it should all be there. Yeah, it should should be. No, he wasn't. Uh, he was He he bought the other car. I mean, it took some took some finagling. And then when he came, when he, when he said, "Hey, I got a truck coming to get the car," 
He goes, how much room am I going to need uh, for the parts you guys have left over? And I said, well, the parts I've got left over are fit right in your trunk. He goes, what do you mean? I said, man, I had to scavenge everything off the other car. I mean, they took the complete door window mechanisms out of it. The dash, I mean, every part of the dash was just gone. I mean, they were there, but they, you know, they would have cost more to, if it hadn't been for the other car, I don't think we ever could have done it. I still had to buy parts. I still had to buy stuff new. I bought every piece of rubber for it. You know, the engine rebuilt, the transmission, the whole the whole suspension, everything else. It was a beautiful car. when It had tractor tires on it. Matter of fact, I think when we got it, uh, his his car, not the donor car, yeah, had uh, had tractor tires on it just to, to roll it around with. Right. So that's the worst one we ever had. The worst one I ever saw while I was there. Yeah. Now, have you had one where it came in for something simple like a tune-up and then it turned into something totally different? Oh, yeah. Well, well, hey, we got it running for you. Hey, while you're at it, uh, what do you think about painting it? We don't give estimates on paint jobs because some of the stuff I've seen underneath paint, um, well, let's just say it didn't. I call it the handiwork of an early craftsman. And Greg, I'll tell you something that really took me a little bit to wrap my brain around, but after you know doing this for so long, I've actually figured it out. The worst cars I usually get are pre-war Rolls Royces and Bentleys. Oh, okay. Why is that? As far as what's underneath the paint. Well, oh. they were made out of aluminum, okay? And when they started getting imported here, you know, more heavily like in the, you know, right after World War II, the 50s and 60s, people didn't have the technology, the welding technology available to them that we do now. So they used pop rivets and, uh, oh, I've seen pieces of buckets. And, uh, <laughs> well, we had that cord I showed you with the... Um, roof flashing to fix the fender yes copper yep. roof flashings but yeah the the, the rolls royce and bentley because they were aluminum they just didn't have the welding technology and one of our premier cars we have that famous lineage and it's a 2025 rolls royce had well i'm going to say we don't call it bondo we call it polyester body filler had about two <laughs> inches two and a half inches of polyester body filler in the fenders we actually had to fabricate new back fenders for it. And it came in just to get, you know, let's get it running in a paint job. It turned out to be every nut and bolt. And it's one of the nicest cars you'll ever see in your life. You've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Now, what would you call that again? Polyester what? Uh, polyester uh, body filler. <laughs> Not Ponto. Poly polyester body filler. Now, Bondo's a name brand. Bondo's a name brand. <laughs> polyester right. body filler. Believe me, we don't use the Bondo name brand when we use polyester body filler. <laughs> Yeah, and I know sometimes, and, and uh, this is a, a personal example here, things can start one way and turn into another, and I'm specifically referencing a 1956 Corvette that unexpectedly took off in a barn and uh, hit another car in front of it that finds itself not just getting a paint touch-up, but it could turn into an entire paint job in some instances, correct? Oh, yeah, that's, that's actually more common than, um, first off, we guarantee our paint. You know, as long as you keep your car inside, you know, you don't park it outside, drive it in the salt. We'll guarantee our paint for as long as we're in business or you own your car. But somebody comes in and goes, how much is a paint job? We have no idea. And I believe I know the car you're speaking of. Um, once that got stripped down, the stuff that had been done to that car throughout the years, well, that didn't pass for daisies either. I mean, you know, they, it, it, there's a point in time when it's just a used car. And nobody takes the time or the care to finish it. 
they'll just, you know, put some mud, well, mud polyester body filler. They'll put that in it and paint it, just, you know, do a patch panel on it and, and go. Well, the car you're talking about, somebody had redone that car two or three different times and did it badly every time. Right. And that car's worth more now than it ever was, than it's, you know, ever been in its life. That makes a big difference, too. Yeah, so part of the potential horror stories in a restoration shop is, you know what, let's take the paint off and see what we actually have, and that's where the real horror begins because there's, like you said, there could be all sorts of issues with the way the the floor pans were put in, the the material it was used, how it was put in, to, you know, being wrecked before, being damaged in some way. Uh, So, yeah, it's kind of uh, interesting when you probably take that first layer of paint off to see what you find, right? You know that, and sometimes you you find stuff in a car that, um, like, uh, huh, I guess since they didn't have a welder or any sheet metal fabrication abilities, they'll just, let's just go ahead and use some uh, expanding foam. That'll fill those holes in. <laughs> seen that more than once. Right, I've right. I've seen, I uh, had a Packard, had a half-million-dollar Packard that had uh, cardboard to fix the uh, back edge of a door. Oh, my goodness. They put wow. cardboard in it, and they used polyester body filler over it, and then they painted over that. You couldn't see that when it came in. And we found out, because the guy, the door wouldn't close properly. And it's got little latches and dovetails and everything. You know, it's a car from the 30s. And, you know, we unscrewed it. And it's like, you know, it's like cardboard. Oh, that is cardboard. Now, sometimes you'll find, like, cardboard with a use for a spacer or something. But, no, the whole back of the door was made out of cardboard. We only fixed that part of the car because the guy didn't want to have a restoration horror story if we stripped his car down. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gentleman that had the Packard paid out. I forgot about this one, Greg. He paid a half million bucks for that car without actually going and looking at it or driving it. I operated it for about five minutes and it overheated. Opened up the radiator cap. Well, I couldn't see inside of it because they had dumped so much uh, uh, stop leak in it. It was absolutely packed solid with stop leak. Flushed wow. it out. Every one of the freeze plugs in it blew out leaking because the stop leak had been keeping them closed. And it just, that whole thing, you know, went from there. And it, and it got, you know, uh, it's, it's a it's a caveat emptor, Bobby. Buyer beware. Well, you should, I wouldn't, you're going to pay half a million bucks for a car. You might want to go look at it or pay somebody 500 bucks to go look at it for you. Yeah, and it's just. I'm just really curious, actually, what is one of the weirdest things you've ever found in a car? <laughs> I can't tell you about that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Find a lot of uh, dead animals, a lot of cats, a lot of, lot of uh, mice. Any piles of cash found? Uh, the only money I've ever found in any car we've ever had, I mean, this was the only money I ever found, I found the equivalent of six British cents <laughs> in, a, in a Jaguar that we had. I've never found any money... I got this standing rule. If there's any money or drugs or guns in any of these cars, I get them. <laughs> First dip. But right? so far, no good. Before we hear a few words from our sponsors, now it's time for a fun trivia question. Where does the term jack-o'-lantern come from? This is multiple choice, so be sure to tune into the answer just after the break. Does it come from the 16th century children's game, a haunted turnip field, a tale of a stingy jack or an ancient Eastern European myth. Be sure to stay tuned to find out. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. 
This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. I just want to give a quick thanks to Euro Classics for sponsoring this episode. Euro Classics is all about collector cars, from servicing your new BMW M5 to prepping your Porsche for the racetrack to executing a total restoration on your favorite classic. They do it all from routine maintenance to performance upgrades to appraisals and everything in between. You can learn more about its owner, Dale Oaks, by listening to episode number 65 of this podcast. And you can find Euro Classics in the Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana service area and online at euroclassics.com classics c-l-a-s-s-i-x dot com the term jack-o'-lantern originates from an irish folktale about a cheap man named stingy jack who made a deal with the devil according to the story stingy jack invited the devil to have a drink with him true to his name stingy jack didn't want to pay for his drink so he convinced the devil the devil to turn himself into a coin that jack could use to buy their drinks once the devil did so jack decided to keep the money and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross, which prevented the devil from changing back to his original form. Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year and that, should Jack die, he would not claim his soul. The next year, Jack again tricked the devil into climbing into a tree to pick a piece of fruit. While he was up in the tree, Jack carved a sign of the cross into the tree's bark so that the devil could not come down until the devil promised jack not to bother him for 10 more years soon after jack died as the legend goes god would not allow such an unsavory figure into heaven the devil upset by the trick jack had played on him and keeping his word not to claim his soul would not allow jack into hell well who would want that he sent jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way jack put the coal into a carved out turnip and has been roaming the earth ever since the Irish began to refer to this ghostly figure as Jack of the Lantern, and then simply Jack O'Lantern. In Ireland, Scotland, people began to make their own versions of Jack's lanterns by carving scary faces into turnips or potatoes and placing them into windows or near doors to frighten away stingy Jack and other wandering evil spirits. In England, large beets are used. Immigrants from these countries brought the Jack O'Lantern tradition with them, When they came to the United States, they soon found out that pumpkins, a fruit native to America, made perfect jack-o'-lanterns. All this wonderful information comes from history.com. What's your technique for breaking bad news to a client? Do you have, like, uh, do you take them to a separate room? Come look at it. (laughs) Come look at it. Oh, come come look at it, it, man. I can send you some pictures, but they're not going to do it justice. And what we like to do, really like to do with a car. If we're going to do a complete fall-off restoration, it's like a pretty rare car, we like to take them and get them baked at like eight, 900 degrees. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, we they do a media blast on them. Well, we had a car in Esophidia that uh, we did that to, and there wasn't one spot on that car that somebody hadn't, 
I mean, I think it was rusting out while they were building it. That, that this thing had patch after patch <laughs> after patch after patch. Right. And you know, we showed the guy, and we're like, man, I said, you know, this is and the body on that particular car was welded to the frame. So, like, you'd have to cut the body off to take it off the frame. But I think if you did it on that car, you just would you'd been better off cutting it up in pieces. <laughs> I don't ever. He he ended up pulling it because it was so bad, and it looked okay and. I saw the video of the car running and driving. I mean, they, they used a gas can up inside the engine compartment, which I've done before. You know, it ran and drove. It didn't look that bad, but, you know, that's where, that car right there was a, one of the reasons we don't give uh, we don't give estimates. Yeah. I bought a 50s, poor guy, nice nice guy, older dude, bought a 56 Chevy four-door sedan that he wanted black. He wanted a black interior in it, and... Dog dish hubcaps, just one plain dog dish, baby moon hubcaps. Baby moons, that's what they're called. One of those on the car. Yep. Well, he bought it, you know, you know, place it, sold it to him. Uh, so, yeah, it runs and drives and all that. It's, it's, you know, some pictures of it. It didn't look bad. I had to hit the starter with a hammer on the trailer that, they, that brought it to us to get it off because that was bad. And then, oh, it had a couple other running issues, but it didn't look that rough. Well, we stripped it down to... You know, it was blue, blue with a white top, like every one of them was, I think. When we stripped it down for paint, they had used uh, pieces of S10s to fix. It's called the dog leg, where the door arches at the base and the back, quarter panel. Yep, yep. I sure. I had to buy. I had. To, there's nobody makes anything for a four door. I had to buy have have them at a junkyard in Texas cut one up for me and ship it to me. Wow. It looked okay, but a lot of uh, and it was you know, everything was tack welded in and. I think they. I think some of the stuff they used was from an S10. I had a Rolls Royce that came in that had little plastic clips for the uh, the boot area that you know were like modern stuff in a car that was made before World War II. Oh wow! Okay. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just you never know what you're going to get into with one of these things, so you start taking it apart. Yeah, yeah. Two things I like that you said is first, you guys don't give estimates for paint. That makes a lot of sense. And I don't know that all my listeners know how expensive paint jobs are nowadays. So the materials are about right now. I think they're about seventy five hundred dollars cost for just the materials that we use. Oh my goodness! Wow, that's even higher than I thought. We use the best stuff that you can buy. Well, I was fifty five popped into my head, but you know everything's getting harder to get right now, and a little more expensive, or a lot more expensive. Right. And uh, you know our sandpaper is made in Germany because it's the best there is. Uh, the body filler we use, we use this material called all metal for like the base of stuff that we use, which is as good as, you know, everybody says, you know, that body filler is bad. If you prep the surface and do, do know what you're doing, there's nothing wrong with it. Lead is, is no better than anything else. I see that bubble up and come off, you know, from however long ago they did it. Yeah, the materials are, are, are quite expensive and you end up most of the time, and we went during a restoration. Most of the money's time, which equals the same thing, is in getting the body work done, getting the body prepped for paint. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And then getting sure. the paint, then getting the paint to look like it's supposed to look. It's when you find the guys that craft a whole fender out of out of <laughs> polyester filler right. that that's the issue. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, and, and listen, I mean that's that's the, the Rolls Royce I was talking about earlier. It had these peaks that ran down the center of the fenders. They had been gone for years. Years they had been beaten out of the car, but somebody had sculpted them in. <laughs> I mean, I've seen, I've, seen some, I've seen some of this stuff applied 
looked really good. I mean, it looked, you know, <laughs> where they had made it look like it was supposed to look. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it didn't look that bad. And you strip it down, and it's like, well, they, they sculpted this whole car out of this. Right. And, you know, we, it, we just, we just, we can't, you know, we, any car, we've, we we painted one car in the 21 years I've, I've been there that was called in the business basically a scuff and shoot. Right. And, yep. you know, it, uh, well, it's back at the shop to get done properly this time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. You know, like you say, it's a, you got a pretty broad thing for a guy that's been doing this for 21 years, what a restoration nightmare might be. I mean, <laughs> it could be. It could be anything. It could be the car. It could be the customer sometimes. Yeah. That can go either way. It could be dealing with another employee or a vendor. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, not, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, I guess. <laughs> well, one thing, and I don't know if I gave you a heads up on this, but one thing I like to do at the end of these interviews is I want to play a little game with you. And your your taste in cars in my is really hard to nail down. So I'm going to give you three cars. And you have to pick. Right. One, you have to pick one to keep. It's called keep, cash, and crush. So you have to pick one to keep forever. Okay. Okay. One to cash in, and then one to crush. So I'm going to give you three cars. Oh, I know what I. I know what that last one I want to be is. Let's see if how you do. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I'm afraid I'm, I'm. I'm afraid I'm going to lob one up here for you to crush, but I might change it. All right. So your first car. Uh, again, keep one. Keep one. Cash one. Crush one. Your first car is a okay. 1958 Cadillac Baritz convertible. I'll be keeping that. <laughs> you what? I'll be keeping that. <laughs> oh, all right. Let's a Baritz? See. All right, yeah, yeah. You, you, that was easy. Oh, all right, let me. I might have to redo these here real quick. All right. Start might... over again. Just start. Go ahead. Go start over again. <laughs> no, I'll, 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 I'll listen to all of them before I make a decision. I'll, I'll leave the Baritz in there. Um, all right. Let me change out some of these other ones here. All right. How about a, let's say a 19, I don't know, 1938 Bentley. Okay. And, oh. This is tough. All right. And then this is going to be the one you're going to crush. A 1955 Porsche Speedster Carrera. So those are your three cars. 1958 Brits, 1955 Porsche Speedster Carrera, and a 1938 Bentley. Which one would you keep forever? Which one would you cash in? And then which one would you send to the crusher? Well, money buys happiness, so I would sell that Porsche. Oh, you would sell the Porsche. Okay. I would sell the Porsche. I would sell the Porsche. Uh, I witnessed a pretty much a car you're describing sell for, you know, to me was an insane amount of money that needed everything done to it that uh, was covered in chicken and completely disassembled. I, I crushed the Bentley and keep the Cadillac, not because I got any animosity towards a 38 Bentley, <laughs> but the, the, the Porsche would be the quickest money. And I like Cadillacs. A lot. All right, that was not a, a real fan of uh, convertibles, but uh, the the Bentley, I guess, would have to be the one to go. All right, that one goes in the crusher. I was hoping you're going to say a a, a a Corvette or a '79 uh, Z28 Camaro with, blue, right. with the blue stripes down the side. All right, that was the one I was hoping you were going to say to crush. <laughs> I would have picked that in a heartbeat, but no, that's good. So if I, I, mean, if it, I would, those are my choices. I'll live with them. All right, the '68, uh, the '38 Bentley. <laughs> what if I switched it with this? This was my original car. I, I pulled out a 1967 427 Vet. Would you crush that? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would do it. I would I would do it. I would take one of those portable car crushers and I would take it to the uh, Bloomington Gold judging thing. <laughs> and I would do it in front of all those guys with their shiny jackets. I would love to do that. There's a car right there that I wouldn't have any issue with seeing it uh, smashed into a million little pieces. Numbers matching, paint codes, the whole thing. <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, well, let's uh, let's talk about that 1955 Speedster for a second. Uh, this is a fun story. Uh, you you can tell me tell me your part of it, but just for our, our listeners, uh, you shared with me a true barn fine 1955 Porsche Speedster. It was not a Carrera, but it was in, oh my gosh, such horrendous shape. Now, talk about a restoration nightmare or, horror, you know, restoration horror story. I mean, that thing, yeah. it it was, it, just tell us about it. I know it was in a barn. The doors weren't on it. There's no interior. Tell us a little bit more about that crazy car. All right. Uh, young lady uh, called up, contacted my shop to, one of the things I do, one of the cool parts about my job is I get to go, I do the appraisals. So I get to go meet people and get to go to different places and, you know, on the way back, find a little restaurant to eat in or something. <laughs> she had a 1955 Porsche Speedster that she wanted me to come and appraise. And one of the other employees there is a Porsche enthusiast and quite knowledgeable about it. So I took her along and we just, you know, to put up a good appearance, we drove her Porsche Cayenne S that she has. I mean, you know, you want to look like you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> we, go to this, we, we go to this place, and they've got, a like, a Quonson hut out back and a little small garage attached to the house. And I was really hoping that the Porsche was in the Quonson hut because I thought there might be, you know, some old gas pumps or something else to look at while I was there. Now it was in the little garage, and, it, uh, you know, that car is really small. It took up most of the garage. We go in and look at it, and the engine's sitting over to the side on a skid, and it's orange at this point because it's all covered in rust. <laughs> but it's the original uh, engine. <laughs> the car, it was the original matching number engine, yes. And it was the bigger one, too, we determined later on. It was the, if you wanted an engine for this car, that was the one you wanted. It had license plates on it, Ohio plates from 1963. It was the last time it had been driven. Between 1955 and 1963, the floor had rusted out of it, and somebody put a new one in badly. <laughs> Every part of the car was, everything that could come off the car pretty much was. The doors were, like, leaning up against the wall, and I couldn't even really get, to evaluate the car, I kind of mocked it up a little bit. I kind of, like, stuck the doors on and whatever I could find to put on the car. Uh, she had a spare steering wheel for it. I climbed up in the rafters. And this thing was absolutely, the floor and the car were absolutely covered in an inch of chicken and feathers. <laughs> it was. And uh, you saw the pictures. So I crawled around and looked at the car, and this woman was all upset because, you know, it was mom's car. Mom and dad had this car, and they'd loved it for years. I kept finding weird parts. I'm like, well, I said, this is a Volkswagen hubcap. And she's like, oh, yeah, we had a lot of buses, too. There may be some Volkswagen parts in here. I'm like, oh, great. So anyway, anything we could determine that was actual Porsche parts, we put with the card. I did an evaluation of it, and uh, my thing was, hey, you know, I could probably help you sell this car. Well, well, before I even said anything, she started telling me about she had five siblings. 
and their nieces and nephews had been calling around all these guys on TV. Well, apparently there were like 15 people fighting over getting this car. It was that desirable. I talked to a guy, I can't remember his name, that was on one of the TV shows. He called up and said, yeah, I'm so-and-so. I uh, wanted to get the VIN number for that, that Porsche. I didn't see it on the uh, appraisal. And I said, man, I'm not giving you that. I said, I don't know who you are. And I said, you know, I'm, I work for this lady until she tells me. Right. Yep. He goes, well, I'm, I'm such and such. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, that's great, man. I said, uh, you need to have her call me to tell me it's okay. Well, I found out he was actually a pretty big deal. I don't watch those. I don't watch any of the. I don't watch any of the car fiction shows. <laughs> right. Not allowed to. Not allowed. <laughs> but now it. Uh, they ended up selling that car for. I think a hundred, almost one hundred fifty thousand dollars. And like I said, they were fighting over it. I mean, these these guys were getting you know rude and nasty. And once I figured out there were six siblings and all the nephews and nieces and all these other people involved, I just wasn't worth messing with to me. Yeah, and I actually kind of took the same stance. Would have loved to have had the car for one of our online auctions for RM Sotheby's, but when you have six siblings trying to figure out, <laughs> you know, yeah. the best. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody's trying to squeeze the, the, the last nickel they can get, but, you know, they're trying to. The thing was, the house I looked at, the car was the, the car probably sold for more than the house and the property did. Right, right, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, and but it was just a complete basket case. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It definitely yeah, was. I don't remember yeah. what show the guy was with or what his name was. I'm not going to drop his name on your show. Well, I can't remember it. <laughs> but, yeah, like I said, I'm not allowed to watch those shows because, you know, cussing at the TV. <laughs> no, that's awesome, and that's a great story. So, well, thanks so much, Mike. Uh, I'm guessing the best way for our listeners to learn more about D&D is just go to – what's the website there at D&D? It's uh, www.ddclassic.com. All right, and that's up in uh, central Ohio. And I'm in uh, I'm in Covington, Ohio. I'm north of Dayton. I'm about uh, 20 miles, 25 miles north of Dayton. My name is Mike Eisen. I may not always be doing business, but I'm always open. You guys give a call, leave a message. I'll call you back if you need something. That's awesome, Mike. Thanks so much. All right, Greg, you have yourself a good weekend, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast. <laughs>